Ben. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Mr. Cooley. Um, <laughs> it sounds like that, doesn't it? Well, it's great to be here in Cheltenham, uh, uh, back again. Uh, glorious. They allow me to come every couple of years uh, from the north. Uh, I know many people. I used to have a trustee uh, that used to live in Surrey, ha Hazelmere, Surrey. And he used to ring me every time, just going, uh, he was on the board, he used to come up for a board meeting. He says, Ben, just, just before I pass the M25, just want to know, is there any, you know, incidents I should be aware of, you know, up in the north, because it's so dark and dingy and, you know, it's sunny down here. We just have smog permanently. Uh, but it's great to be here. Thank you so much for welcoming me. Uh, like I say, I'm here, uh, you've so eloquently put it, but I'm here for a micro conversation. I'm being interviewed uh, this afternoon and then I'll be doing another talk, a different talk to, from this morning tonight. So uh, I'm an itinerant speaking, speaker, so you're getting all of my speeches today. Um, <laughs> that's it, I'm done. I'll have to write a new one before I come back. Um, uh, so it's great to be here. Um, uh, like I say, uh, I'm CEO of Hope for Justice, uh, founder of Hope for Justice. Started Hope for Justice when uh, I heard about the issue of modern day slavery, 27 million people caught in slavery, 1.2 million children a year sold, two children every minute. And I walked out of that building that night and I thought, wow, if that was my daughter, I would do something. And it was the next thought that changed the course of my life, really. Uh, they are someone's daughter, I should do something. So I did what any young, passionate 26-year-old would do. I booked the NEC Arena in Birmingham, England to tell the church about it. And uh, we got 5,884 people to our first event. And uh, since then, kind of, uh, I've just launched rescue missions across the world. And I've got a little video, if I can, just show you just a little bit about what we do now at nine years on. Here we go. When people first hear about modern slavery and the millions caught up in it, often they're overwhelmed by the statistics, they're heartbroken by the brutality and the violence of modern slavery, and they literally don't know what to do about fellow human beings being exploited for profit. One of the survivors that we worked with a few years ago said to me, Ben, I didn't need someone to cry about this issue, I needed someone to do something about it. That's what we've built here in Hope for Justice, a thought-through professional response to the issue of modern-day slavery. Hope for Justice has a home and abroad strategy. Wherever modern slavery exists, we are committed to stamping it out. The best way to do that is to prevent it from happening in the first place. That's why we work with women in some of the poorest parts of the world, giving them the tools and education they need to protect their families. Our staff work with street children who are so vulnerable to predatory trafficking. We give these children the support and schooling that they need and get them back safely to their families. We rescue victims. Our specialist teams identify victims of sex trafficking, of forced labor, and domestic servitude. We build bridges of trust and get them to safety. But rescue isn't an event, it's a process. It's where restoring lives begins. At our aftercare facility, where highly trained staff provide trauma-informed care from immediate crisis intervention to long-term education and vocational learning. For our adult survivors, 
we advocate on their behalf to get them the support that they need to make the most of the new opportunities that freedom brings. The goal is always restoration and reintegration. Abolishing slavery for good depends on reforming society. We are working with businesses, with governments, with the public, raising awareness, improving legislation, training thousands to spot the signs and to respond. Creating nations and societies hostile to modern slavery, where it will no longer be tolerable. Our team are changing lives and ending slavery. Investigators drawn from prestigious law enforcement agencies like the FBI and Greater Manchester Police. Lawyers and social workers with years of experience who are with the survivor for every step of the journey towards restoration. Educators who specialize in trauma-informed care. Outreach workers who engage directly with those who are the hardest to reach. Training teams who share our expertise with other professional self-help group leaders who go out into their own communities to make a real difference. All of them share one aim, because Hope for Justice is part of a movement of people who refuse to live in a world where human beings are treated as commodities and sold in front of their own eyes. We refuse to live in a world where the bodies of men, women and children are used for profit, forced to work, made to cook and clean as domestic slaves or pushed into the sex trade. We're creating a world where children are free to be educated, run and play. Men can provide for their families, that businesses are upstanding in society, that governments protect the poor. When we decide enough is enough, things change. I believe in the power of when we use our voice for things that matter. I believe it echoes out into the darkest places of our community. I believe it because I've seen it. I've seen the goodness of humanity. I've seen the end of slavery. I saw it in the first girl that we rescued. In my mind, we already live in a world free from slavery. Just history, hasn't caught up yet. So um, uh, thanks to people like you. So I know that many of you have been supporters of Hope for Justice for many years. And uh, now we're reaching about 38,000 children a year. Uh, in fact, we've got 5,800 children off the streets into, uh, into our accommodation last year alone. We reintegrated 954 uh, traffic kids back to their uh, mothers for the first time. Uh, last year, uh, and we're just rescuing hundreds of people every year for, in the UK, across the world. We rescued someone if, uh, just a few weeks ago that was held in slavery for 37 years, but is now walking free. Uh, I just love the work that we do. I just love it. You know, there's nothing better than getting children out of slavery. And we, in the UK, the youngest ever victim that we've ever rescued is uh, three months old. Uh, but thank God that uh, the church. Uh, heard the cry of these people and sent people uh, to go and uh, uh, rescue them, restore them. And it's the very heartbeat of heaven. Whatever you did unto the least of these, you did unto me. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. I know a lot of you were worrying now, is Ben going to preach from the Bible today? Yes, I am going to preach from the Bible. Whilst you turn in uh, to that, let me just um, tell you, I do have a book 
that I will be giving away at the end of this. Um, but uh, I, I wrote a book with some of my friends from like Rend Collective, Natalie Grant, a few others uh, that have um, uh, contributed to this book. Um, I'm, uh, if you want to get hold of that at the back, that would be great. If you're inspired by just hearing about more stories about what we've done, there's loads of stories in there. Uh, so I'll make that available to you at the back. Right, 1 Kings 19. Uh, so before 1 Kings 19, funny enough, is 1 Kings 18. Um, uh, just, I'm really teaching you right now. Uh, I know you're learning. Uh, just take notes right now because note takers are history makers. And um, I know I'm a catchphrase person. You just got to go, go with this, right? So, uh, you know, 1 Kings 19, the, before that 1 Kings 18, now it's, a, it's about a, a guy called Elijah. Uh, now it says Elijah was like me and you and, you know, he's a prophet and, you know, he was getting challenged with the same things that we get challenged with, you know. You know, the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 were challenging his, um, his God. We're saying that your God isn't the real God. Your God isn't the true God. Your God, your God isn't the, the God, you know. And, and Elijah was like, no, my God is the God. My God is the God of creation. My, you know, and they started having this battle. And I know that you, like me, we get this battle all the time, you know, in our workplaces, in our families, in our environments. People are asking, saying to you, why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you give to what you give to? You know, because the church is countercultural, right? I mean, no, nowhere apart from in religious organizations of people gathered right now listening to someone speak to them right now. It's countercultural, you know. We live in a count, we should be countercultural to the world, you know. And, and this is what the, he was in that day and age. Prophets of Baal were challenging him. And like me and you, we get challenged. So we do what he did. You know, we get the sticks out and we say, whoever's the real God is going to set the sticks on fire. I mean, you do it. I do it. We do it all the time. It's our go-to challenge, isn't it, as Christians? We kind of go, hey, how do we sell this? Let's set the sticks on fire. You know, it's a, it's a go-to. I feel relaxed in that. I did it in school all the time. You did it in school. You do it in your workplaces, you know. It's a go-to challenge. So, you know, Elijah got the sticks out. The prophets of Baal got the sticks out. And they, they started doing, you know, you know what they did. They were like, come on, set the fire, do it. They started dancing around it. You know, the good old-fashioned dance around the fire thing going on. You're going to have a fire night. You'll know what it feels like, men. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good old-fashioned fire. And so they were like, hey, what's happening? And oh, do it, do it. And nothing happened. Now, it talks about Elijah and his, like, dignified response, you know, to... He was not dignified. He was like me and you, right? We were, he was laughing. He was going, is your God asleep? You know what's going on? We do this in our workplace all the time, right? Is your God asleep? Right. So then it gets to his turn, and he gets the, like, sticks out, and he's so confident in his God that he pours water over the sticks several times, you know, and like, it's like what the men are going to do because they're so confident in their God on fire night, they're going to pour water over it first. They're not going to use matches because they're men of faith. And uh, according to your faith, it shall be done. And so, so the fight, you know, they're getting the sticks out and they're pouring the water over and then, then he goes, do it. And the fire of God came down. Now, can we just pause on this moment right now? Like, if I did this right in front of you, number one, we'd have to run out of the building and I'd have to apologize about build, burning the building down and the carpet. 
you know, it's frayed at the edges. I mean, you could do with it. I'm not going to lie to you, you know. Particularly there, I mean, it needs at least gaffer tape or something. <laughs> the fire of God came down, right? Imagine if that happened right now, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you care if you're on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you'd be like Instagramming that. You'd be like sharing it. And you would be saying, great Sunday today, the fire preacher came, right? Hashtag fire preacher. You know, in America, I would be totally booked up all the time. They'd be like, do you know Ben Cooley? I don't know Ben Cooley. You know Ben Cooley, he's the fire guy. And I'd be like, I'd be preaching the fire of God. It'd be awesome, right? Have you ever had that moment where God's come through? You know, where I don't know if you've ever had a healing or, or a, a moment where y- your marriage just suddenly got a breakthrough and, or your finances or God really just came through, right? It's amazing those moments, isn't it? We, lo- we love those moments. You know, uh, we get them all the time at Hope for Justice where, where, where just an impossible situation, that girl was never going to get out, but suddenly the fire of God came down. You know, where just the miraculous, the, yeah, but God, you know, the, it's, it's the miracle of heaven, right? And then, then what Elijah does is Elijah then, he sees those prophets of Baal and he, he then goes and kills them all. Now, I'm, go, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm just going to skirt past this because I was just talking just before Andrew, he wanted to do a 10-part series on why Elijah had to kill the prophets. I mean, it's going to be riveting. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'll move on from that, but I don't want to spoil anything, but it's amazing, this series of why Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. Um, So uh, that was a joke, by the way. He probably isn't going to do that series. Um, I've never heard a series on why Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. Anyway, so then we get on to 1 Kings 19. So uh, there's a chap that's with the prophets of Baal that ran away called called Ahab. And he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life and he came to Bathsheba in Judah and he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Some translations say, it is enough, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. I just want to die. I find it fascinating that uh, a man that saw the fire of God, the miracle of God, the, 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 then just one woman speaks one word of death over him. And then he sits under this tree, leaves, leaves his servant there, goes off into isolation, and then sits under a tree and says, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of here, I can't carry this anymore. Sits under a tree and he says, it is enough. Now, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I trained as an opera singer. I used to wear tights and makeup and dance around, and I used to do that in operas as well. <laughs> and I used to sing this moment uh, in uh, Mendelssohn's Elijah, um, It Is Enough. You, you actually probably don't want me to just sing it to you now, do you? I don't think you do. Come on, you're, the, you're, you're quieter than the last time I was here. 
I'll do it. I was gonna do it anyway, Gary. <laughs> You know what I mean? It wasn't on you guys. <laughs> My itinerary, I do the same every time. <laughs> okay, ready? It is enough. Oh Lord, now take away. said that to God? Like seriously, because I think often like in leadership and in the, the world we work in and live in, we present the good stuff. We, we present the best parts of leadership or of our life. It's our Instagram generation that, that just pre presents the highlights. But I want you to know today that there are many people, many leaders, many situations, many people I've met along the journey that go on platforms, speak on platforms, that are leaders in companies and leaders in society, that are sat under a tree saying these very words, I'm done, I can't carry it anymore. I hope I've got a message that might be able to encourage you wherever you are on the journey, in your walk with God, wherever you are, where you find yourself in your marriage, in your business, in changing the world. I've realized that changing the world isn't an easy thing. It isn't easy to change people's lives. It isn't easy to end slavery. It isn't easy to step up, step out, and keep on going. It isn't easy to be the long obedience in the same direction. It's far easier to have spasms of passion. It's far easier to just get excited for one day, but to have the long haul, to keep on going, is one of the hardest things. And I just want you to know that there's highs and lows. And wherever you are, I hope I've got a message that can encourage you. You know, I, I suppose we're all on a journey, aren't we? You know, I don't know where your destination is, where you want to find yourself, what, where you want to get to in your life. But wh where my destination is, where I'd love to get to by the end of my life, right, is I'd love to get to a place where we live in a world free from slavery. I mean, I'd love that, right? Because I don't want to live in a world where children are bought and sold and they are forced down into the mines. It's why we launched our Vietnam office, right? Because we, our investigators went over to Vietnam and they found children seven years old down the gold mines collecting gold for Western companies. And literally the traffickers would shut the mines once they'd finished collecting the gold and they would shut the mines with the children still in them to suffocate and to die. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where men are forced to work against their will in factories. You know, we rescued 33 people in Huddersfield that were making beds for two of the largest retailers in, the world, in, in this country. They were beaten, withheld food. They were um, uh, working from 5 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where women are sold into the sex trade, forced to do unspeakable things to men after 
men night after night, town after town. I don't want to live in that world. Rather, I want to live in a world where children can be educated, that they are taught, that they are the message to the future, that their future is unlimited, that whatever they want to be, they can be. I want to live in a world where men can provide for their families. They can be upstanding in their community. I want to live in a world where women are told that they are precious, loved, and they can be all that they need to be, all that God has intended them to be, uh, to be leaders, to be uh, women of valor. I want to live in a world where humanity is valued, that freedom prevails. I want to live in a world free from slavery. That's my destination. I I don't know what world you're trying to create, but we are creators like God is a creator because we take the the mindset, we take that we're part of his family, we have his authority. When God first spoke, it wasn't for communication, it was for creation. Let there be light, and there was light. You know, and the same goes for us. When we speak, it doesn't just communicate, it creates. You can create in someone a security. You can create tall people. You can create people that are secure. Equally, we can create through our words, we can create insecurity. But likewise, with our, with our words, we can create vision. I want to live in a world free from slavery. Oh God, would my words carry the same weight as yours at the beginning of time today. That it would create a world, a UK that's free from slavery. A world that's free from slavery. I don't know where you are, what are you creating with your life, whether you're deliberate about that or not. But I want to live in a world. But we've got this journey to get to, to that point, right? Everyone's got a journey. And I want to tell you just a quickly, just about a journey that I did a few years ago. That now, at the end of October, I will be repeating a similar journey. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I am. Um, uh, a few years ago, a few of my friends, uh, some of them were celebrities. They were on such things as like Emmerdale and uh, such high quality soaps and dramas. <laughs> you know, that you all watch and probably record if you're out on an evening. And um, and, uh, he was on Amadale, and there was a few of us, there was like Comedy Dave that was uh, on BBC um, uh, radio and other things. And uh, we were were discussing like how we could do a challenge, you know, to to fund the next office that was going to be in the Midlands. And uh, one of them, you know, said, well, you know, we need to raise 263,000. How about, you know, we all do a marathon? And I was like, a marathon? <laughs> We're not doing a marathon. That's from the devil. And uh, <laughs> it's totally true. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, marathons, I, I've seen them. They're awful. And, uh, you know, someone said, I think uh, maybe it was, a, you know, someone that was 5'11", beautiful, Looks a little bit like Gary Barlow, blonde, uh, highly attractive um, guy. Uh, um, so he suggested doing a cake sale because um, <laughs> I can eat Victoria's sponge like a champ. I just want you to know that. I mean, it makes me cry every time, leads me to the Lord. And, um, <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were talking about it. We were like, what should we, you know? And, uh, and then uh, someone said, well, we should do a bike ride, you know, because bike rides are pretty cool, you know? And I was like, yeah, I used to cycle when I was a kid. We should totally do a bike ride. And, uh, you know, someone said, well, why don't we cycle from Land's End to John O'Groke's? And I was like, oh, everyone does Land's End to John O'Groke's. You know, what should we do? We should do something like that's more meaningful. And we were going to call our office Zoe's Hub after uh, one of the girls that we rescued, Zoe. And so I, I was like, 
Do you know what we should do Zoe's journey? Zoe was trafficked from Latvia to Southampton. We should do that. And I was like, this is awesome. And we were tweeting it out. We were all like that, you know, doing it and stuff. Now, at that point in time, I want you to know this. I thought Latvia was next to France. <laughs> uh, 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 it's not. It's next to Russia. And, uh, and uh, it's, that's a long way away. True story, we started getting loads of like TV stuff, you know, like because of the guys that were on. And I'll never forget being live on national TV. And uh, they were interviewing Tom about his, you know, how he's killed off on the live episode uh, of Emmerdale and he, was st he got stoved in with a brick. And, um, and, uh, and like they were asking him about that and then they were saying, what are you doing next, Tom? And he said, well, we're, I'm doing this bike ride, you know, you're doing this bike ride. And, and, um, and then they turned to me and said, Ben Cooley, you're the CEO of the charity that they are cycling for. And I was like, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, I am. Yes, I am. They say, Ben, you know, this is the only question they ask me. This is the only question. So, Ben, you're cycling more miles than the Tour de France in less days. <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> I was like, I'm what? <laughs> you're no, I heard you. So, you know, we start getting, I mean, people start getting really interested in this and, you know, we start getting loads of, like, sponsorship, like, you know, uh, like we were given bikes, you know, uh, uh, bikes, we start getting given bikes <laughs> and stuff and uh, we, were getting, we were sponsored by ASOS, you know, like, like some of you right now in this room, you know what I'm talking about because I know exactly who you are. You are a middle-aged man in Lycra. You're, you're a mammal. <laughs> yeah. You like wearing that stuff. Can I just say, the Bible says, there's something about Lycra, right? The Bible, it doesn't say anything about Lycra in the Bible. I was just <laughs> testing you. The, the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? <laughs> Lycra doesn't. <laughs> it exposes it, okay? If you were, I just want to speak to you right now. Maybe some women in this room right now will be grateful for the words that I'm just about to speak. <laughs> you look silly. When you walk out that room, you, it's, and you're clipping clopping because you've got the clipper things. You aren't cool. It's highly unattractive. Stop in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, uh, so we started getting sponsored and then we got over to Latvia and, you know, we started like, we, we got on the bikes and we started cycling and uh, we got through Latvia in a day. So I was like, yes, this is awesome. How great are these? You know? And then we got through Lithuania and then we got to Poland and it turns out, I don't know if you've ever seen Poland on a map, it's massive. It's absolutely huge. And I was like cycling through Poland and, you know, I started getting bored of cycling. You know, you know where you're just like, oh, it's the same. It's just doing the same. It's bored. And then you look down and you see a wild wolf running next to you. And you find your motivation again. You are going, going for this in Jesus' glorious name. And, uh, and then, you know, then we get to to, to Germany. Now, Germany is where everything changed because it's in the, middle of the in the middle of the journey. 
And uh, equally, Germany is massive, and the weather started to change in Germany, the terrain started to change. And I just want to take just a moment, just pause right here in, in this story that I'm telling you, and just say this, right? The danger of any vision is never at the start, because you're so close to your why, right? I don't know what you're believing for, where your destination is, but the danger of your vision is not at the start, because you're like, I'm excited. I'm passionate about this. I know why I'm starting. You know, when I, when I booked that arena, I didn't even know what that was back in those days, but I didn't care. I was like, we're booking an arena. We're telling people. I remember meeting with a guy that now is the CEO of, um, uh, of Compassion. He was a great friend of mine. He said, Ben, you're going to lose your house. You're, he's Scottish. I, I wasn't just, uh, <laughs> I, was, I, I wasn't being a racist at all. Um, my granddad's from Erkelthaken. And um, he said, Ben, you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your house. I said, well, Justin, I don't own a house. <laughs> so it's all right, you know, because you're right at the start. You're like, this is awesome. This is great. And your danger of any vision is never really at the end because you're like, I'm nearly done. I've done the hard graft. I'm, I'm there. I can see Southampton. You know, I'm, I'm nearly there. The danger of any vision is always in the middle. Because it's when people start leaving. It's when people start getting tired. It's, you're so far from your why. It's when the financial difficulty gets in. It's when all of those problems, it's when you change. When you're going through personal difficulty. It's where most people give up is in the middle. And for me, the middle was Germany, right? I sat under the tree so many times in Germany. I remember when I went around the corner that when we came into Germany, well, and we was cycling around the corner and I could see what I could only describe as a, a mountain. And, uh, and that wasn't cool. And so I, we, we stopped at the bottom of the mountain to have a lunch. And uh, I, I, was, I talked to the guy who was in charge of the route. I said, hey, how you doing? We'll be going around them. <laughs> when she comes, oh, hey, buddy, I love you. You're awesome. There's a road in there. I can't see the road. It's right. He says, no, we're going over it. I was like, oh, cool. And at that point in time, a cameraman came up to me and he said, Ben, you know, pointing the camera at me, he said, Ben, tell me what's on your heart. <laughs> I was like, you don't know what's on my heart. It's nasty thoughts. You know, it was massive. It was like over 10% of Everest. And they pointed the camera at me and and the mountain there, and they said, go on, Ben, we just need this on camera. You know, tell us what's on your heart. The only thing I could do, church, camera, mountain. If faith can move a mountain, <laughs> let the mountains move. Try it with a darling check move. If faith can move a mountain. Y'all learn something in that moment, church. God doesn't always move the mountains. Sometimes he defines you by them. You know, many people are saying, hey, we've got loads of problems, and they're sitting at the bottom of the mountain, and they say, God, would you move this mountain? Would you do a miracle? And I'm, I am 100% convinced that God does miracles. But sometimes God uses us to be the miracle. He wants us to realize that we are stronger than we think we are. That we have more authority in this world than we tell ourselves. You know, I, I'm, I'm passionate about one's thinking, right? Because your thinking affects your attitude and your, your attitude determines the course of your life. 
You know, your thinking shapes everything. The Bible says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So if you start thinking negative, guess what? You will become negative. If you start thinking small, you will inherit a small, small-minded, small thinking. But if you dwell on the thoughts of the Most High, if you do exactly what it says in Isaiah, for His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You dwell. You know, one of the people I think, you know, I love Psalms. Don't you love the Psalms? Like just the, like the, 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 the understanding of God, the kind of like the, the, just the, the, the wonderful poetry of God and who he is. And that came from the thinking of a man called David. Uh, David spent his time as a shepherd boy dwelling, thinking, meditating, uh, rehearsing the thinking of heaven. And then when he came and he wasn't even invited to the battle, I love that, wasn't invited. How many people feel uninvited? I mean, I feel uninvited all the time. Who am I? I'm just an opera singer, right? I'm just a guy that wears tights, makeup, and dance around. And who am I? But you like, it talks about David being the cheese boy, you know, coming and bring the cheese. Can you imagine it? David, have you got any Wensley tail? The cheese boy. But yet he had a different thinking, you see, because everyone else was thinking about the facts. They were saying, yeah, Goliath is tall. It was fact, by the way. Goliath was tall. Goliath is undefeated. Do you know that was fact? Because Goliath was undefeated. I just want you to know that it's, it's a thin line between fact and the word of God because it was fact. It was true. But there's a higher truth and there's a higher fact. You see, when David saw it, he didn't just see the facts. He saw his God through the facts. And he started seeing, and he said these words. I love it. Everyone else was saying he's strong, he's mighty. He's, but, but, but David came with a different spirit because he dwelt with the most high. His thinking was different. He said, who is this Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Oh, for a generation of people that look at modern slavery. Oh yeah, there's millions of people in slavery. It seems there's more money made from that than the most now international crimes. Yes, the, you know, we rescued someone uh, in the south of England that, that was making 200,000 pounds a year for a trafficker. He had six girls in one house, three houses. Yes, it looks like things are against us. Yes, it looks like we're losing. Oh, but the Lord is on our side. Oh, but who is this Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? I'm here to tell you, you're stronger than you think you are. You know, uh, a few uh, days later, I was still in Germany. It turns out Germany is really big. And uh, I was cycling through Germany and I was going up this other mountain and I was, I was just about to give up. And I, I was like, ah, oh, my legs are killing me. My back is killing me. I was 30 years old and I called out for my mommy you know you're in a dark place when you call out for your mommy. And I was like, mommy, sucking my thumb and wearing my lycra and looking really cool. And uh, they called me, my nickname was called Teletubby, by the way, just so you know. All right, Teletubby. And uh, so I'm, I'm there on the mountain and I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm so much pain and I'm just about to give up. I'm just about to stop cycling. And God reminds me of that moment where Moses had that similar sort of thing 
in Numbers 11 where God, God asks him to do something and it's just the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then he says to God, he says, I can't carry this anymore. I can't do this. Have you ever said that to God with the burden that you are carrying, with the problems that you are you're experiencing with the marriage, with the finances, with, with the, the people that you are trying to help and nurture and carry and help? And Moses says, I'm done. And listen, he changed God's mind. And he was honest with God and God said, all right, I get it. Get 70 of the leaders that you know, bring them to me and I'll take some of the same spirit that is on you and I'll put them on them and I'll help you carry the load. As I was just about to stop cycling, I felt this hand on my mate. My mate Jim was, uh, put his hand on my shoulder and, uh, and I felt on my other shoulder it was Gav and they literally were cycling up the mountain in agony, one-handed pushing me up. I learned something in that moment, church. Some mountains aren't meant to be climbed alone. They're meant to be climbed with others. You know, I, I, I am absolutely convinced there are people in here right now that are work, walking through things that they don't know how to even navigate. They don't know what to do. But the Bible says this. It says, it is not good for man to be alone. Do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There is something about joining together, shoulder to shoulder. That's what the family is meant to be. Supporting one another, sharing and carrying each other's burdens like Jim and Gav. You know, we live in an independent, more and more independent generation. You know, social media teaches us this. It teaches us to, to, to be independent. It, it says this, if you're not careful with social media, this is what it does, right? You look at my Instagram and you go, oh, Ben's dinners are better than my dinners. His holidays are better than my holidays. His wife is better than my wife. He looks better and liker than I do. <laughs> and suddenly something called comparison comes in, right? And comparison, we know, is a thief of all joy, but comparison does something more than that. It teaches us that we aren't team. It actually teaches us that we're competitors. One of the great dangers, I believe, if we're going to reach our destination is, yes, we have to get our thinking right, but if we're going to reach our destination, we have to realize that we can't do it alone. We have to do it together. A house divided cannot stand. Together, together, I don't know if you're lonely, isolated, but I want to encourage you, get part of the life group here. Get part of the life of the church. Volunteer. Be part of something. If we're going to change the world, you need to belong. A few days later, I was, and I'm finishing now, I don't know if, it, is it appropriate? I was speaking in an Anglican church uh, last, um, last week in Oxford, and I said, could I have the keyboard player up and... They were like, wow, this guy's really Pentecostal. But I really, literally, I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I don't know how to land a message without having a keyboard player. I mean, what do you do? Do you like say, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> could I have the key? Is it? Yeah, I mean, take your time, though. I mean, it's, it's totally fine. If we could have, like, um, just something, you know, mildly happy stroke, um, Stroke sad, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Kind of in the middle there, you know. 
major and minor together yet. Don't, don't do any suspended fourths or anything like that. It's, um, <laughs> a few days later, I was still in Germany, and uh, I, was, I was just, I was, I, I, I was like, I've been sick eight, nine times a day. I was exhausted. I was ready to give up. And, uh, and so I, I, I was cycling through this town, and I actually, I stopped cycling. And um, I started just gliding. And uh, I've only done, I've only stopped at Hope for Justice once, you know. We've now built it to nine countries. 38,000 children we're reaching in our programs right now. Rescuing hundreds, thousands of people from the most dire situations, right? Girls that have been forced to service a hundred men every day in a brothel. Um, men that have had, some of them have had their, their fingers chopped off for punishment. The broken and the marginalized and the oppressed, right? And uh, I've only given up once and it was a, it was a day that, uh, darkness, I, I understood. You know, when I used to sing, I used to sing this aria in, the, in Handel and it was, um, the people that walk in darkness. And there's a recit to it that goes like this. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Gross darkness, the people. And, I, and that day I, was the day I met that gross darkness where I got a phone call to my office and it was of one of the people that does uh, and is part of the things that we stand against. And that man who does unspeakable acts against women and is part of organized, uh, deliberate abuse of people, phoned up my office and said, Ben's children go to a great school, don't they? And when that got fed back to me, my heart just sank as I realized this man had been watching my children. And uh, I had to make a phone call to my wife to say, hey, we're going to have to move the kids out of school. We're going to have to move out of our house. I, I didn't want to ever have to do that, right? I mean, when I booked the arena, I, I didn't realize that vision has a cost. I, when I stand on platforms like this, I, I didn't realize that it would come to my door, right? I just thought, hey, we're just changing the world and all the great glorious of that and I moved our kids out and I'll never forget the moment where I was saying to God I said God I, where are you have you ever said that to God where are you I'm sat under a tree like Elijah going I'm alone it didn't matter how many Twitter followers I had. It didn't matter how many people I'd spoken in front of that year. This was about how do I keep my family safe? God, they're coming after me. And I, I didn't know what, I, I didn't hear God. I, I didn't hear that audible. I, I've never really heard the audible voice of God. Be honest, I haven't. But I had this feeling suddenly. Just because I'd, stored the Word of God in my heart. And suddenly it started to come back to me like, who do you think you are, Ben? I was like, I don't know. And suddenly the Word of God came flushing back to me like, like, like an unstoppable, untamable river. Ben, you're, you're part of a kingdom that will never 
be shaken. You're part of a kingdom that, that, that will never, ever stop advancing. You're a son. You're a co-heir in the kingdom of heaven. You're part of the authority of all creation. You represent the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. When you speak, it's for creation, not just for communication. You bear the name, the authority of Jesus. They couldn't even pronounce his name in the Old Testament. You are part of that family. You are embedded into it. You are adopted into this family. And I went back to my team and they were fully anticipating me stopping, quitting. You know, we can't do this anymore. It's my kids, it's my kids. It's Isabel and Lily. But instead those days, I stood and I, in faith, I used my words for creation. And I said, do you know what team? We're not gonna stop because we are hope for justice and we refuse to abandon the least, the last and the lost. We're not gonna stop until every man, woman and child is walking free. We're gonna launch new offices. We're gonna do growth every year because we are part of the family of God and we bear His name and we refuse to leave them there. A year later, we launched an office. A year after that, 110 people walked free in Bradford because we refused. You know, I was cycling and I, I was gliding through this town and my friend, he started shouting at me. He said, Ben, what are you doing? I said, I'm done, Tom, I'm done. He said, Ben, look up at the town that we're cycling through. I said, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. He said, Ben, look up at the town that we're cycling through. And I look up, bleary died. And I see this sign. He says, Ben, it's our turn. <laughs> Don't you dare forget who you're cycling for, Ben. You're cycling for Emma's, for Zoe's. Zoe was trafficked from Latvia to Southampton when she arrived in Southampton. She was, went into a hotel room and he, the man, he gave us some underwear. And she said, no, I'm not here to do that sort of work. I'm here for a legitimate job. He said, no, you're here to do who I tell you to do and when I tell you to do. And then the man laughed her and he, he walked out the room and then 10 men walked in and there began Zoe's nightmare. Well, Zoe was trafficked all across this country. So bad was the abuse that Zoe decided that she would end her life. And she decided that she would jump out the apartment block window and she did, she jumped out, but she didn't die. She bust a leg. And the trafficker saw her screaming in agony on the floor and he walked down all the flights of stairs and he grabbed her by the hair and he dragged her back into the building up every single flight of stairs and she was screaming out for mercy. And he shoved her back on the bed for the next man to walk in. You know, when our team eventually got Zoe, she was in the car and uh, the investigator said, you know, was she saying, it's gonna be all right? She said, no, I've just got one request and one request only, that tonight you don't abuse me. I don't know if you're here to help me, but my best friend saw me into this. I just need a night off. And then he, 
We take her to an aftercare facility and she realizes it's real. And she says, it's real, isn't it? Tonight you're not gonna abuse me. He goes, yeah, Zoe, it's real. And then he says, you know what, Zoe? You're a princess. You're a daughter of the king. And through all the pain and all of what she'd walked through, she starts crying, weeping. And then you can hear this. I'm a princess. I'm a princess. I'm here to tell you, you are stronger than you think you are. That some mountains aren't meant to be climbed alone. They're meant to be climbed with others. You want to get to your destination. You have to realize it is your time and your turn. Don't forget who you are cycling for. I'm going to play a video just right now. But if you want to join in with this, I don't know if you've felt moved by this cause, by this issue. We're asking for people to join with us in prayer uh, and in finance, but in prayer. If you want to fill out this form uh, and you want to look at it while we're watching a video of one of the lives what we've been able to transform because someone filled out this form. I'd love it to get... A few of you, if you could possibly join with us, I'd love it today if we could go back with more guardians. And if you do that today, you get a free book uh, called Impossible is a Dare. And I'm going to be talking about that tonight. Thank you so much. Please watch the screens. Marie grew up in Kandor province here in Cambodia. She lived in abject poverty. At the age of 10 years old, her mom and dad decided to move to Phnom Penh for a better life, a better future. She worked in a cafe and then went on to sell phones. And then she got this opportunity, but she was tricked. Marie was taken to a place just like this. She thought she was there for a legitimate job. She went into the room, but the man tried to abuse her. She ran out to reach out to the owner to explain what was happening and ask him for compassion, but he had none. And he forced her to go back into the room only to be violently exploited. Marie was just 13 years old. This abuse that she was subjected to lasted for two long years. So when Marie comes to our program, she doesn't want to stay, she doesn't trust anyone, she's just like staring, and if people come close to her, she's just like yelling, like I don't want you guys, go away from me, get me out. And she also stressed that she gotta kill herself. But the woman, she will take no death, yeah, because you were carrying a lot of pain. Yeah. Yes. And did we help with that? Yeah. You want to with all that with my hand to jump? Yes. Did it feel safe here? We feel like a pit turn, the back of the hand, don't get your face. That's 
message that we say to Mary, that sister, you are suffering right us, and we here is with you. We're not gonna let you go back to that hardship situations again that we experienced in the last couple of years. We're gonna hold your hand and walk across the journey of restoration. You are being protected, and you can walk to reach your dreams. It's thanks to guardians, people just like you, that for the next two years, Marie was nurtured in a safe place, given education and therapy. I'm thrilled to say she is now graduated from our program and is pursuing her dreams in life. So when I see the girl graduated from the Hope Justic program, my heart is full of joy. And the message that I want to speak out to her and to all the teams at Hope Justic is that this girl made it. What she has had to walk through in her life is just unspeakable. She has given her all to beat the darkness in her past, and she is a beacon of light. And I'm just overwhelmed today. I'm overwhelmed by the fact that that girl is laughing. That girl is went back to see the girls in our program, and she said, "Don't give up." She said, "I know what you're walking through." I mean, you know what a role model for us all. And I just want to thank you. You've played a massive part in her life changes. You are a hero to her, and she is a hero to me. Thank you. Today, we're inviting you to become a guardian because there are literally millions more girls just like Mary. A guardian stands up for the Marys of this world. A guardian rescues them. A guardian restores their dreams. A guardian reforms society and ends slavery forever. Become a guardian today and change the life of a girl just like Mary. The, uh, the leaflets are on, on our, our chairs. Just a, a very brief moment just to say, God, thank you for Ben. Thank you for how you've answered our prayer to speak through him. Thank you for hope for justice. We pray blessing on their work. And God, we know that you've been touching hearts in this room. And in human terms, we're slightly out of time. But you are the God of time. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just seal into us whatever you wish? For anyone here who is directly affected by the things that we've been speaking of, would you come, Holy Spirit? Amen.